I've tried to access the multidimensional uh, realms of the human uh, spirit on this journey, and uh, I've done that really through walking ass backwards like a blind monk, stumbling into grace, to people like <clears throat> Jason Abraham Roberts and John Lee Shannon and Neil Casal, Jared Madsen, and a whole host of other incredible guitarists and just plethoras of musicians. Uh, but the other night I had a chance to go see my dear brother Jared Madsen and uh, walked in to check out the band that was following him. And um, it was really one of the more inspiring um, sort of vibrational experiences. Uh, my ears were, I was in full Nada yoga phase when I left the facility, due in large part to the trio's magnificent, uh, majestic energy and um, pulsating rhythm, breaking up time and form, and also my next guest's guitar playing, uh, really shredding, uh, but also like telling a story within that. And uh, anyway, I was just blown away. Ultraviolet communication, lead guitarist, Josiah Rodriguez, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Pleasure to be here. Can you talk about, uh, you know, I remember interviewing a great guitar player, passed away recently, Jack Wilkins, really good jazz player up north. And he was, he said, you know, I, he goes, I never was able to understand, uh, you know, McLaughlin and Demiola. He had the, they, the, the beat. He said the beat always fell in the weirdest places. He's like, I've transcribed their tunes so they have impeccable time. But the beat always falls in its in the weirdest places. And I just wanted you to talk about a musician that you play with or have played with where the where they have impeccable time, but the beat falls in the weirdest place. <laughs> I guess I'd probably say my drummer, to be honest, Mr. Lee Pickett. Um, oh man, dude. That dude he, took me to the fucking moon, dude. <laughs> man, yeah, he's uh he's the best drummer I've ever played with. Um and uh but his timing is is it's impeccable but weird you know like i feel like cause he listens to a lot of you know 60s records uh stuff where you know jazz was meeting the rock world and that sure. was like a, a big thing and i think his sense of timing compared to a modern drummer like a modern rock drummer is just very reminiscent of that era and there's just a bounce and like the way the downbeat lands is a little different and you know he's never quite rushing never quite dragging but he's you know, just creating this pulsating wave within the music, you know, and I think uh, that's something I've grown to love and, and really, I think, uh, makes it a lot of fun to create over that. So probably just say my drummer, to be honest. <laughs> no, I think it's fantastic. I mean, Josiah, can you talk about like specifically with Lee, like how he keeps time on other parts of the kit? I think modern drummers get locked into the pulsating machine gun like bass drum sound. Yeah, but that dude. That dude was not playing quantized rhythm. I mean, it was round. And yes. you could. I mean, I. I know on the production side, you probably record a lot of modern music, but you didn't have a problem adapting to that. That's just because oh, yeah. you're one of the cats. But I mean, can you talk about how the other parts of the kit that he uses that allows for new vocabulary to grow? Big time. It's uh, it's the independence of limbs. And I, I'm sure when you talk to him about it, he'll be able to tell you more. Uh -huh. but, uh, I've noticed, uh, particularly when he's playing the hi-hat, his foot is his left foot is constantly pressing down on that thing, keeping time. So a lot of our sense of like, you know, time is is that that hi-hat. And then his other limbs can kind of play within subdivisions around that hi-hat. 
<laughs> exactly, dude. This is what I'm talking. I mean, as a non-musician, yeah. This is this breaking up of time and form allows me to have. Uh, I, can you talk about your concept? This is a word you may or may not know, but I have discarga, which is like a spiritual discharge within the cranial system, where it's like a healing thing, mainly through breaking up time and form. Discarga really comes out of that, you know, sort of shamanic. Yeah. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's that folkloric drumming from Cuba and obviously the slaves. And I just, I just wonder about in your younger years when you first experienced Descarga uh, around family or you know the sort of musical exposure that that offered you that glimpse into the the mystical realm. Uh, it, I would probably say, uh, you know, like when I first listened to uh, early classic rock stuff, it was very. Um, it was like, wow, this is like very fire and brimstone. Like these guys are making this out of nothing sort of thing. Almost like very uh, primalistic caveman. Like it's like they have these machines like guitars and drum sets and things like that. But they're going up there and they're doing something that, you know, at the time no one had ever really heard. And that to me was like, wow, you're creating out of nothing. That has to come from somewhere. And so I feel like that, uh, you know, kind of sent me down a rabbit hole of, of discovering um what it is to be an artist in a world where you know you can't explain everything you know and, and things just happen to you on stage and while you're making music that you can't explain even if you have all the you know music theory knowledge in the world it's it's kind of just moves through you the music comes to you you don't go to it you know uh, you know terry haggerty from the sons of champlin told me you, you need to you need to uh sort of borrow from this, that Socratic uh, method of you must know what you don't know. People will call, will ask you what your brothers Josiah when you come off the stage and say, how'd you do that? You said, I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Like, like, did you have to, to, this is very important. Yeah. Because within the construct of conversational spiritual music, there's a lot of stuff that can't be put into words. And we live in a very verbose society. Did you have to, to surrender to the unknown at some point, the Socratic method of you must know what you don't know? Big time. Um, you get, give an example, maybe a, a specific one that early on in your career where, it, you know, you, it made you a stronger person and player because you kind of worked through that mental game. Yeah, like I think particularly in songwriting, like I feel like, you know, just as humans, we want to have control over a lot of things. And I feel like that bleeds over into songwriting and you want to know, you want to have control over when you're inspired next, you know, you want it to be convenient for you. Um, right. You know, you don't, you don't want it to strike, you know, when you're in the grocery store, like, Oh shit, I need to get home and write a song right now. Cause it's inconvenient because you're in the middle of something, but you have to be able to surrender that and say, okay, it's going to come to me whether I want it to or not. And I think um, when I first started writing songs, particularly for this band, knowing when to surrender to that and just letting it happen. You know, even if it's at 2 a.m. and I have work in the morning, I'm like, you have to let it happen. Otherwise, you'll be kicking yourself later when you're when you try to schedule out and sit down and write a song and then it's not coming to you because you didn't allow it to happen when it just presented itself. Um, so I would say that it, it's probably... Um, Did you give an example of, of when that like a, a specific song that sort of song? fell out of you in a dream state. So I mean, um, I think that's fascinating, you know? Yeah. So like, uh, I, uh, I have, I have a girlfriend up in Flagstaff I do a lot of writing when I'm up there. Right. Particularly because I'm not in the work mode, you know? And it's funny cause I could almost come to expect it now. 
Um, before it would be kind of like I'd, I'd try to just grind away and sit here at home on my computer and plug the guitar in and say, all right, I'm working on a song. You know, I have a little bit of idea. Um, but some of the best songs I, I wrote this song, it was a song we opened the set with the other day. It's titled Mount Shasta. Uh, I wrote huh. it at my, yeah, I wrote it at my girlfriend's house, um, uh, sitting on her couch. Um, you know, we were getting ready to go get dinner or something. And she, I have a little acoustic guitar up there. Um, and I sat there for about 15 minutes while she was getting ready. And the words came to me, the, the music came to me. I didn't have any of the band. I hadn't shown anyone anything yet. And it came to me within that 15 minutes, at least the, the structure of it and the idea that I wanted to do. Um, wow. And that, that's just pure being able to surrender. Because I could have sat there and been like, okay, I don't need to write right now. I'm going to get ready for dinner mentally. Um, but Dude, you could have been like, hurry up. Let's get at it. I'm hungry. Yeah. Like, yeah, I dig, man. I dig. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like I could have done that, but I've learned to Beautiful, man. That, you know, What's the name point. of that tune? Mount Shasta? Yeah, Mount Shasta. Yeah. So – Wow. Uh, you know, I mean, to me, you had such command of the of and facility of the of that instrument. Uh, and it seemed that you were I, I, I sort of was thinking that you probably were. I'm just going to a lot of speculation and you can set yeah. me straight. But basically. <laughs> I kind of feel like I, the question I have is like. Did you how have you learned to navigate your life force and the God within you? Have you been able, have you, have you been, were you exposed to a lot of dogma spiritually or have you been left to your own desires? Because like, you know, man, you are not, everybody can touch that intergalactic frequency, but you did it. And I don't, I mean, you haven't been around that long. I mean, you haven't been on the planet that long. <laughs> so I'm just curious about the God within you, how you've learned to rationalize it, th that source. And, uh, and and did you have a lot of dogma growing up as related to religiosity? Yeah. So I guess um, to touch on that, my, my family is was very is still very religious growing up i grew up in a you know pretty standard christian household yes. and uh you know i was kind of told from a young age what god is and what god does and who you know like where he's been and all this stuff you know it's it's in this book you know that sort of thing and um i feel like um when i discovered music I naively as a young person i thought okay these two can be related they can be from god or for God or whatever, you know, and my parents encouraged me to play within the church, um, which, you know, very, very young when I was first learning how to play, I was like, I just want to play, you know, I didn't know what it was within me, but I just wanted to do it. So I didn't mind. I could play with anyone anywhere. Um, but as I got older, I became very disillusioned to the idea about it being um, about anything more than this structure of an idol god that they had set up like i want i wanted to be creative i had always tried to push my creativity as much as i could but within the bounds of the church it was very very suppressed they said no 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 no. it's not about you and i was i was always so confused by that and i was like i'm not trying to make it about me it's about the music i love this like, dude i knew like, this i knew this it's 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 about the music and like people don't think about that they think like no you're just showing off it's like no well, hold on. i wanted to stop you right there before yeah. you go on. jesus would say 
from somebody who could not recite one verse of, of the Bible, Jake Palmer, Jesus would say, Josiah, brother Josiah, create and be yourself. And yeah. that is true enlightenment, not idol or worship music. Yeah. It's all worship music. Yeah. He would not respect that. I, I would I would probably agree with that. I think it's it's about being true to yourself and letting whatever God is to you work through you in a God way. was talking through you the other night, man. Wow. Well, thank you. All right. Man. Like, I mean, I, I, that's all I'm saying is like, explain without getting too deep in the weeds. Yeah. Ultimately, you you're on your path. But yeah. why does the conformity of religiosity and dogma um, why can't they recognize what we're talking about? Is it too of, they're, of losing control? Yeah, the yeah. The idea of, of cutting people loose to liberate in their genius and their true nature, and yet that is being stifled. Why? How does that? How do you think over time? I guess the better question is: Can that change over time? Do you think, or is it going to be in our lifetime? I mean, to uh, me, like I it's bizarre. Yeah, I, I think it's a really hard concept to kind of push on people. Like, and yeah. if anything, with, without that, it, it's kind of funny. I said without that sort of suppressant that they'd push on me, I don't think I'd be here talking with you today. That's a very good point. Yeah. Because I feel like, you know, this idea that I, lear I learned very quickly, it like broke my naivety in the situation. Like, oh, okay, these people don't really care about the beauty of the music of the unseen the creation of it like how how does it where does it come from they just they mark it up to you have a gift from god and that's it they reduce it to just a statement like that they don't right, say right, it's right. anything more and so and i remember thinking to myself like there are so many artists who made amazing beautiful pieces of music that have come through them that weren't you know made for their god but they would probably reduce it to being nothing a wasted gift if you will are you kidding and, me you nailed it bro that's yeah. it um and it's like mm. how how can you reduce something so beautiful to nothing and and so for me i don't i don't know if in our lifetime we'll ever see people that don't want to do that and i don't know if that's out of you know i mean is that jealousy? gonna take like is that gonna you know like to me like going back to the church for one second yeah. we don't need to get into the prognostications i forget yeah. that stuff it, uh, was there like, uh, you know, like the Bob Dylan saved kind of cat shade yeah. smoking cigs in the band like that? You were like, oh, wow. You know, like you don't always have to, you know, thump to the same beat, so to speak. Like you can be yourself in that church band. Yeah. I mean, like within the band, probably not. And that was kind of my issue. But when I because I was going, <laughs> you know, like and I, I there was no one like that in the band, you know, like I remember being so stifled create creatively but i knew like you know it was a lost cause i didn't want to fight it on it because i realized very quickly at the same time there was so many things happening i was discovering music you know like a bunch of classic rock at the time and, and just really creative things that like i was saying earlier it came from nothing these guys were making something from nothing and i was like that doesn't come from you know like this god whatever they're calling it this comes from you know the true like you're talking about the dogma, the 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 magic of right. creation, right? And so, um, I think that once I had found that, I found other people who also knew this. Like when I was going to school, other musicians, I'd find a guy, you know, the, you know, the Bob Dylan type guy, walking around the school, smoking a cigarette, <laughs> yeah, playing right. an acoustic guitar, and I'm like, there's something about this guy. He's just being himself. 
he's the freak. He's the weirdo. You know, the, no one likes him, but he plays music. He writes his own songs. And uh, <laughs> nobody likes him. He's not he's not conforming, you know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, but but he again, same thing. I wouldn't be here without. Uh, That's really yeah. a fascinating yeah. juxtaposition there to say that tension forced yeah. you. I mean, it didn't it just pushed you into into being yourself like you had no other Big choice. Time. You know. Yeah, I, I, I was like, I have to create. I want to create what they won't let me do it here. There's got to be another way. And then I met people like me who also were like, oh, you know, you you write songs. I, I write songs. You know what I mean? Let's write songs together. And it's like, wow, there are other people that make original. I remember watching the first original band I'd ever seen in my life. There was a band called Tinfoil. Um, and there was friends of mine. And it was the first time I'd ever seen a band my age play original music in a backyard. <laughs> and it it blew it blew my mind. It absolutely blew why my did it mind. Blow, why, why did it blow your mind? Because I was like, dude, these guys learned music, learned songs, learned how to write songs, got together, wrote the songs, made something from nothing. And now they're doing it. Now they're doing it for people. You know what I mean? I'm like, these are my people. This is my, you know, so-called church. This is where I need to be. And so uh I felt encouraged, you know, and I'd hang out with these people and they'd be, they're older than me smoking cigarettes and being, you know, just weird, you know, artist types. And, and I learned a lot from them of, of what to do, but also what not to do. You know, it was that's like, that's a good like, point. A lot like, of cat. That's a very good, uh, yeah. just get back to that. Yeah. Later. It's like, I, yeah. I, uh, like a quiet observer, just like picking up things like, Oh, okay. So they sit and write songs you know, to write songs. They're not writing to get loaded like these guys. These guys write songs so they can get loaded and, you know, hang out with girls or something. Sure, sure. But these guys write songs. So it's like a matter of sifting through, you know. I feel like my my senses were heightened by my naivety being broken by the church. And I was able to kind of sniff out like, oh, this guy's real, this guy's fake. You know what I mean? Like this, this guy's just as fake as the people at the church, you know, or whatever. Um, no, because that's that the helps. thing. Like, like that. The, the thing is, it's not just the oh, it's chalked up to the God given ability. It's also yeah. like when you try to get more spiritual, like in the sense creating or generating spirit within you and getting amped up about it, excited about it. They look yeah. at it and they, it, it's almost they just judge you as some sort of you know they scoff at it, you know. Yeah. And to me, like there's a judgment, and that's just like the most punitive, critical shit. And that's dogma. That's not spirit, you know? Yeah. And like, did you, uh, I mean, it, it just seemed to me like, you know, sort of touched on what we were talking about earlier, but, yeah. um, well, before I go on, uh, uh, can you just talk about, uh, I think more to the point, like, you know, I have two daughters and mm -hmm. we have, a ton of love and a ton of respect for each other. And I tend to think respect in, in most cases in Judeo-Christian society, mm -hmm. uh, respect is more important than love from your parents. And I just want to know if your folks and your family, being that you came from a very a religious family, if yeah. they, they may not totally understand brother Josiah, but they recognize yeah. that, that, that they respect not just your path, but also the power of your ability to inspire. Totally. I feel like they, you know, when I was young, what they were afraid of is, you know, and not. Yeah, not no, they, they, they were afraid of the peer pressure being like, oh, your son's this, uh, this, this conduit, you know, but then. Well, you know, 
they were they were always really good about defending me. They were always really good about that. You know, they wouldn't really take anything Thank God. on in the church. Yeah, yeah so that's that, good. That I was, like that. that. I like that. Yeah, that was really helpful for me because then I didn't feel like I needed to be, um, you know, like they weren't suppressing me at home. You know what I mean? They were they were like allowing me to be creative and so they were completely like they were like very supportive of of your gifts. Yeah, even if they didn't understand it entirely, you oh. know, they were very supportive. And then you know when I started hanging out with those those artsy type people, they did get a little worried, you know, what I <laughs> they mean? were like, oh, uh, riffraff. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, but they did also know like, well, we've raised our son well enough to be able to, like I was saying earlier, sniff out someone who's just in it to get loaded than someone who's willing to make music because making music is harmless. You can't hurt anyone doing that. Right. You know? Right. And so, right. you know, when I bring right. people around, right. it, it right. was like, right. Yeah, I wasn't bringing well, no, it's, it's around. Very, it. It's very interesting because uh, there's a cat that I'll hip you to if you don't know him. A lot of people don't. He flies the bull of the radar. This cat named Hadley Hawkinsmith. He, uh, he okay. has the, first of all, he's the greatest name in the world, but he came up uh, in uh, Oklahoma and uh, uh, wound up um, long and the short of it is that uh, he tried to kill himself. You know, he was so into black music and he was so depressed that he wasn't born black and he didn't think that he could ever yeah. reach that and yeah you know, he was playing west montgomery like gritty stuff he was drinking turp he was drinking turpentine they had to pump the turpentine out of his stomach and yeah. uh the point is his buddies bill maxwell fletch wiley they started they were all in these bands this is going back early 70s mm -hmm. and it's a very unknown because like you know that that oklahoma scene doesn't get a lot of press but i this is really yeah. important like he so Basically, as a tribe, this group found the God within them, Jesus. Yeah. And so they started playing at the Open Door Mission, uh, which was like basically like a place for drunkards and, and drug addicts. And it was a kind of a, a – they were playing for free. And one day, Hadley started playing there because uh, the, the guy they encouraged him to come down. And uh, one day, Andre Crouch walked in gospel singer and he was like i want you to be my band and they went to, and the point is that he this guy hadley went on to andre crouch david gates uh you know just so much such a badass player neil diamond yeah. consistently and he said the same thing cats would be saying Oh well, you you know you're gonna go on the road and there's gonna be all these womanizers and you know you're gonna be yeah. around women and drugs and that's not part of the gospel and the and he just yeah. said the same thing. The music is the is the most important thing and you know people yeah I don't you know I, people get distracted but when you start to party and use it as a device to enhance your power. Yeah. then you're you're abusing that spirit you know what i'm saying big time yeah no big time it's like it's like when you when you watch a baseball player who's worried about hit a home run it's like it doesn't you know it's right. you're, you're you're you have a power you know as a human being as a healthy human being to do your job and do what you love and be creative but like using a using something as a crutch you know you of course you know you can you can do something to alter your mind and you know yeah, maybe I mean, in a different on, perspective. Yeah, right, of course right but like it's different if you're like i can't be great without this then you're getting into dangerous territory you're, you're finding right, that man. you're you're a slave to that and not to the music you know what i mean like, i'd much rather you know, touching on to that music. you know this is so important brother josiah like if touching on that point you stay on the righteous path because i think what you're talking about People fall into that trap. Yeah. 
based on fame, being quote-unquote famous, whatever the hell yeah, that yeah. means. So success for you is playing spiritual music, whether it's at the Linger Longer Lounge for you know 45 cats or yeah. Madison Square Garden in front of you know a packed house. The point is, or you know, like to me, like you are going to stay, at least in the live context, yeah. the ability to burn to the heavens. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I, I think uh, I uh... because that was a burning. <laughs> that was, you know, and I fucked mad props to, you know, because the thing said Jared Madsen. Yeah. That was what it was billed. Dot, st- Psycho Steve. I lived down in Tucson. So it was like, yeah. major, you know, big drive up. It said yeah. Madsen fucking uh, door, doors at 7.30, show at 8. I called Jared. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, we're going on uh, 9.30. I'm like, 9.30? He's like, there's three bands. I said, who the hell are these cats? So <laughs> I was like, all right, we'll see. And then he's like, yo, I'm going on second. And I walked in, man, and like, dude, I could have listened to you guys for hours. I mean, I, if I didn't have the drive back, I mean, I yeah. just was like, you know, I was ha- I was just out of it. But man, it was like mad props for you uh, being the third band that night after Madsen, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were. Happy how did to you do know? It. I mean, how does that work? I mean, how did you guys wind up on that bill? Well, so typically uh, we just get hit up by the promoter and they say, hey, we have a bill. We need an opener. Um, we think you guys would work well on this bill. Will you guys take the gig? And uh, more than not, often than not, we'll say yes, because like you were saying, we don't really care if we're playing to one person or a hundred. We're going to play it. like it's love a million, it. you know. And so we try to play as many gigs as we can. Um, and this was just another gig for us, you know. So we went in there and we just wanted to do the best we could like every other show you know so many of the cats that i love that are road i mean do you have you are pretty established as a producer in phoenix uh in that area would you say Mm -hmm. Uh, a little bit yeah it just depends you know i'm not you know what i'm saying is like it's like because the cats that i gravitate to that i'm connected to on a spiritual level as a journalist um you know for better or for worse i mean they are road dogs and I just yeah. wonder about this band, if I don't want to use the word aspiration per se, but it's like, um, it's to me, it was frustrating because I walked out of there and I said, that band should be on a three week tour <laughs> off the Pacific Northwest, you know, you know, yeah. in a sprinter van selling merch, you know, yeah. maybe not that far along, but the point is there is no touring circuit right now, brother. Yeah. And that was, that's why I walked out a little bit feeling a little bit melancholy just because although it was so inspiring to see you guys it also i just want you to talk about that burn if you have any any sort of ambivalence towards wanting to just you know we're just talking about getting out and seeing the seeing the country and playing and inspiring people do you have (laughs) motivation to to road dog it with uh with ultraviolet big time we all do that's a that's a huge thing for us we want to get out there and play as many shows to as many people as we possibly can before we kick the bucket man and yeah. i think um you know it's tough going but we just wanted to be strategic about it you know what i mean like i see so many bands you know just kind of get it gonna get in the van and hit the road to any bar they can and then kind of get burnt out and then they get disillusioned and it's tough because we we want to be able to get out there but we don't want to disillusion ourselves and ruin our chances of having the drive to keep going um how so, in this day and age, talk about I mean, without giving away the, the the secret sauce, I mean, how 
what is strategic in 2023, June 2020? Because to me, like, yeah. you're right. Cats will just run out before they're before being no with no strategy, and they wind up showing yeah. up and they and they get and they get stiffed on the gig, right? And then they get disillusioned. Yeah. That's how it happens. Big time. So, yeah. so you're yeah. Go. I want to talk about strategy with Brother Josiah. Yeah. So basically, like for us, it's it's always about the music first, 100. percent But when it comes to the business side, we want to make sure that we are making enough money to where. Like my, because I I manage everything myself at the moment. So I'm the guy who books the shows, takes the money, everything. Um, I do my best to make enough money so that nothing's coming out of our own pockets. So like gigs we play, merch we sell, that sort of thing. It's all paid for by the band. I'm not I'm not saying, hey guys, we need three hundred dollars. You know what I mean? Right. Like yeah, their totally, money. Totally, no, I get it. Yeah, the the money they keep is for them to uh, to hold on to. And I think that helps because then you're not feeling like you're obligated to this thing, even though I know if I asked them for thousands of dollars, each one of them would work their asses off and provide it, no question, you know. But I find that allowing it to be self-sustaining is how you create like a foundation for saying we're gonna we're taking this seriously. If we're going on the road, we're gonna go out there and we're gonna make ends meet, you know what I mean? And if anything is less than that, then it's a it's a waste of our uh, ability, and it could uh, potentially harm us as a band. Um, it's very astute. I mean, and so yeah, yeah go ahead, please. I was going to say it, it. It really just comes down to that, you know. Like I know how fickle it can be to be in a band, and I can see bands failing all the time, but I also see bands who are really successful, and I look at them, and they're not on a label. They're just purely, you know, they've grinded and grinded for years and years and years. It takes a lot longer. Throw some names out. I want to know these bands, man. Throw some names out there. Dude, okay, so uh, my my North Star is a band like King Gizzard as a Lizard Wizard. Those guys are, they're they're doing the thing, man. They are out there totally independent. You know, they make their own records. They fucking you know, pay for everything themselves. There's no huge, there's no money behind them other than the money they're making from their music. You know what I mean? Essentially but, though, I mean, they, they are, they're thriving at the merch tables based on regional yeah. popularity. They found region, regional pockets yeah. of popularity. Big time. But it's like when, you know, how many bands can say like, oh, like they just played the Hollywood Bowl yesterday. How many bands can say we played the Hollywood Bowl we got here by ourselves? Well, how long no, have they been doing that? How mm-hmm. long? For quite a while, they've been around for a decade or maybe a little more. And, and um, when had when had they when did were you hip to them right off the bat? No, I mean like it, it's kind of trickled over when they started coming right. over here to America. You know that was when they really kind of took off in this region, and I think that's what's made them so successful over wow. time is being able to get over here. And you know, there's a lot of other factors in their success, but one thing I've noticed, and I could be wrong, I don't know the guys, and I don't really know how their business works. But there's doesn't seem to be a big, you know, large cash injection from some label or some management company or something. They don't owe anybody anything other than the music they're making, which is, allows them to be prolific and put out whatever they want, you know, play as many gigs as they want to however many people they want, you, you know. And, it, and you know, it did take them a long time to get here. And they just they were on the grind for years and years and years and years. And I'm sure they played a bunch of shitty fucking, you know nothing bars for a long time yeah, a bunch of sports but, bars where nobody could, people could care less whether they were there or not you know exactly but yeah. you know um and totally. I, think, I love that well, well give me another band um give me a give me a domestic band. give me a domestic domestic, domestic a ba- band? american american band i don't care what genre let's see 
Yeah, I'm trying to think here. Um, I don't know. My guys, and they're still grinding. And they haven't reached that yeah. liz- lizard level yet. Is the circles around the sun? Okay, yeah. Are you head to those that's cats? A example. Yeah, uh, I've heard. I've heard a couple of. Uh, did they put out a single? You know uh, what it is like. It's dude, they, they. It's they are. They were basically uh, solicited to uh, in like a week write the intermission music for Grateful Dead 50th anniversary in Santa Clara. Gotcha. Yeah. And they were and they and uh, so originally it was Neil Casal. Okay, uh, yeah. And it, it, so, you know, the point is that it, he, Neil obviously left us tragically, but John Lee Shannon has taken over these guys. But there's no touring circuit for them right now. Yeah, it's all festivals, man. It's crazy right well, now. Yeah, and and, and I'm and not even saying because like I could tell that yeah. you guys were like, you're still building that foundation. So be strategic. Hey, come on. Yeah, yeah. But like I'm talking about an already a, a like a band. They're kind of in between. But I'm just trying to gauge the idea of saying you say that you know the the lizard about ten years ten years and they're finally grooving now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and they've been grooving for a while, but now they're really like almost right like on top of the world. You know? So it's a decade kind of. It's it's like a it, yeah. And I'm just trying to get that idea. And you guys basically, how long have you been cooking the groove for in this uh, ultraviolet condition? This this would be our fifth year this year. Wow. And so, yo, you know, I mean that. So yeah, no, I think that uh, the only I'm not even calling advice. The only inspiration I'm going to give you, brother, is. Uh, just make shit up right now and push it hard. I yeah. think that it's really, I mean, yeah, you don't want to stumble over yourself and fucking burn out. No, for sure. Yeah. I, I'm also saying, I'm not sure how much, like, I feel like this is the thing I wanted to talk to you about is one reason that sixties music resonates so hard with people. People don't talk about this enough. Obviously there's great studio recordings, but in the live context, those cats were playing. I don't care. I mean, I've interviewed Steve Cropper and, Bob yeah. Weir and all these cats, you know, like, and like they were playing out of antiquated PA systems. I mean, yeah. they had the generate soul through life force. They couldn't do it through technology. And yeah. that's what made me feel like God was coming through you guys the other night was the fact that it was the life force. And I wanted to know if as a musician, is that something that kind of is in your subconscious that comes to the surface when it's grooving or can you cultivate the ability to generate sonically through your life force yeah i think that it's it's definitely not something that i'm conscious of you know i'm never like sitting up there thinking about that it either happens no, you're, or no, I, want, I want you to no i mean this is why i love asking these questions because like to me it's like i mean all i'm saying is that Back in the day, the you know Harold Jones, he's playing yeah. with a he's playing with an organ and guitar. They're both amplified. He's on yeah. drums. He's not. He can barely yeah. hear himself, but he had to yeah. generate through physicality. Yeah. And I just want you to talk about generating sonically without using the technology. Yeah, I mean, like it it depends because you know we're we're gearheads, so we love it. But it it's all about of the course, song first. Dude, of course, no, it, but I mean, it's also about the life yeah. force of the musician, though. Big time. Yeah. And I think that at the end of the day, it's, you know, it, it, a technology aside, it's about the song first. So if the song isn't strong in its, in its smallest form, it can't be strong, you know, pumped up, you know, through the amps and, and, and sure. through the PA and everything. Sure. 
Um, so it always starts there for me. I think it has to be a strong song, you know, however, it, it, at, the, at its kernel, at the very smallest it is. Um, otherwise, it won't really kind of resonate the way that you're talking about when it's pumped out at, you know, like fucking 110 decibels or whatever. Um, and creating power within the composition. The unit, the, the, the unit, yeah. the unit yeah. itself. That... Yeah. Were you using some kind of drone effect the other night or some kind of looping thing? I, I, it was um, like, this, woo, like it was this yeah. going on undulating kind of almost tambora thing, but it wasn't Indian. But I, I'm just curious about like yeah, what so, that so was. I, uh, I have a delay pedal. Um, uh, and uh, if I hold there's a button on it, it's a, it'll self-oscillate. Um, and so a lot of times if I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> kind of funny if i'm either trying to create like uh chaos i'll i'll implement that or if uh good, if, good. if it's if it's something as small as like i'm switching between the two necks of the guitar i a big pet peeve of mine is that those transitions don't sound seamless so a lot of times i'll use it as a great bridge between being able to switch sonically from one sound to another um that way people feel like they've gone somewhere it's like a little connection between two very you know oh dude it's a portal to the points. intergalactic dude yeah it, it takes you somewhere um and you don't know where it's going but you know it's going somewhere so um, it's a delay on what you're playing and then fate mm -hmm. and then getting putting that out in sort of a uh a, 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 a looping or drone kind of situation yeah yeah so it'll self-oscillate and kind of just continually play the same note over and over again and feedback into the pedal and it just becomes a big feedback loop so it'll make a an a drone of sorts which helps a lot uh for establishing a mood and also you know allowing people to kind of sit in a in a space for a moment you know because we throw a lot of things at people you know we're constantly jumping between things and dynamics and things like that but sometimes we really like to create space where it's just you're just floating there with the music letting it simmer and then we take you somewhere oh, within that. No, you did a heck of a job the other night. I was going to say, uh, Searching for Sugar Man. Have you seen that movie? No, I have not. Uh, Sixto Rodriguez from Detroit. You should check that out because okay, so this, I this feel, funny. I, I mean, I feel like you guys are related, man. I mean, uh, and I'm <laughs> not even, I'm not uh, searching for Sugar Man. He became. A over pop, a massive star in South Africa, even though his records were caught in Motown in Detroit. Anyway, I just wanted to ask you about that. No, for sure. And it's funny that you bring up Sixto Rodriguez because uh, our our drummer Lee turned into sign of that guy. Okay, He's so I mean, because when the minute I saw Lee, I was like, I, the, the man is a cosmic brother, dude. I mean, the guy was <laughs> on fire on that drum kit, dude. Like <laughs> yeah, it was man. old school fire, you know. It was not. Yeah. The quantized shit, but yeah. no. So check out searching for Sugar Man. I'm telling you, looking at you, your profile here on Zoom, I'm like, just. I mean, he's from. I mean, I was born in '78. I'm 45 yeah. years old, but he was. He made these these incredible, like completely over the under the radar soul funk albums in yeah. on Motown, and the records blew up in South Africa, and he became this iconic. Anyway, there's a very complex story. Yeah. It's worth you checking out because the family lineage could very well be there. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, I want you to just talk to younger cast. I mean, I, to, Brother Josiah was playing a 
I mean, it was all I can say it was a Mahavishnu kind of style guitar the other night. And, um, you know, we live in this facility driven, chops driven, you know, look at me society. And I wind up staring at the wall. I, you know, I'd rather see a yeah. conversation. I just wanted you to talk to the other cats about like it for you, it was coming through you. I'm not saying you haven't spent the time to know the rudiments, for but sure. I just want you to talk about like, it's okay to hit clams. It's okay to oh, yeah. in a band where you hit clams and then you take off in that direction. Like stop being comping people like yeah. be yourself because like, sure. it takes a lot. I don't know, man. I just, you know, to me, like, I just, I'm not, I don't find myself getting inspired that much by live music because I don't see people going over the edge, ultraviolence yeah. over the edge. And I want you to talk to cats about how they can get closer to the edge. I, I think you just have to be willing to take risks, man. And what like, does that mean though? What does that mean? Give yeah, an example. To me, that's like, you know, within a lot of our tunes, um, we like to improvise. So we'll take sections and they'll, they won't be the same way every time. They'll be a little different every time because we trust each other on stage. Right. So I'd say step one, play with guys you trust. That's right. You know, to catch you when you fall. If you stumble on a clam, you've got the other two or three guys or whatever. They're propping you up and, and making you feel like, hey, maybe that wasn't a clam. Play it three or four more times. And Put a chord on it. Up. Put a chord yeah. on it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's what Herbie did. Yeah, he'd always say. I mean, even when John B. Williams had to fill in for Ron Carter with VSOP, mm -hmm. you know, he's like, just put a chord on it, man. Yeah, and you know, but a, you have a, to have you have to have massive, you know, sort of musical intelligence. I'm not saying it's easy, but no, what I'm sure. saying is like surrender. You know, I think Big it goes time. back to what we talked about before. You know, it's just the idea is like trust and and be vulnerable and sit in the mess. Have you guys had some messy times over the five years? I mean, I would assume. Have you actually gone on a domestic tour in five years? We we have. We went on we went on a tour up the uh, southwest, actually up the to Pacific Northwest last year. Whoa, uh, whoa, last whoa, 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 dude! Um, I might have to get on the next tour, dude. <laughs> no, you guys got to come down to some man. You will rock yeah. it. You play down here? Yeah, we've played down there a handful of times. Um, Wait, one one ninety one two or where? We we played at Con uh, Club Congress. Um, you don't belong there. <laughs> we played down in uh, at a Sky Bar on Fourth. Sure. Um, yeah, anywhere though. Dude, I'm us. bummed that uh, dude. It is this is why I do my show, man. You know, <laughs> you show up for Jared Madsen and you meet and you connect with Brother Josiah, man. You know, it's like it's just the legs, and I just feel like you know. How, maybe the the last question here for you is just where do you feel you need to push yourself out of your comfort zone in order to grow? Uh, you know, uh, yeah. you're younger than me, but like, you know, like we've just been talking about it. It's a stacked deck against you guys in terms of like, Big time. you know, most of court, most of court, corporate America, berserkal capitalism, you know, they, they want formula. They don't want people being creative and thinking. So you've obviously, you know, taking this challenge, but where do you see yourself either as a, someone who has to wear eight hats or just as a musician, where do you want to grow in order to, uh, to keep liberating? I just want to keep making the best music I can, man. Like I think, and it's, it's this kind of goes back to the way we started this conversation, that magic, that sort of feeling of knowing that something came from nothing. It resonates with people in a way that no algorithm can, 
manufactured, no government can, you know, regulate. It just happens if you're true to yourself, if you're authentic. And, you know, that could be naive, but, no, you know, history, no, that's history... the best thing. I mean, that's one of the best things you've said. You said a lot of great stuff, but that is something out of nothing. Yeah. It's like that's, his, history. That's all that matters. History would, would say otherwise, you know, history would say that, you know, that that is exactly what it is. All of my favorite bands, all of my favorite artists, they all created something from nothing and they were rewarded for it. Well, you, you also, know? I want to be clear, you know, it's, I mean, the people that did that and then they get to see it in their lifetime is magical. Yeah, yeah it's true. Most true. cats, like, I mean, for most, like Jake Feinberg show, yeah. I know you're just getting hip to it, but like, <laughs> I've been on this trek 12 years. Yeah five books, you know, and still yeah. it's like, I, nobody, who, I mean, I'm the slowest rolling snowball in the world. So I've recognized <laughs> that yeah. like, in fact, my work and love and spirit will live on long after I've left this planet. Big time. Yeah. And you know, I feel like you, you feel that same way, you know, big time. Yeah. Like, like for me, success isn't about, you know, make being famous or making a million dollars or anything like that. It's just like, if I can sit on my deathbed and say, I made the best music I could possibly make and I'm proud of it. And that's the most important thing to me because that's going to live on longer than I ever will. And people will be able to know who I was by the music I made and the things that I said within the, those songs, you know? And um, I think for me, the way that I grow is just making sure I stay grounded in that and, and never getting distracted by, you know, all of the, you know, the, messiness of navigating the music industry and trying to make a living doing this it's it can become overwhelming if you let it if you allow it to but if i just focus myself in writing the music and being smart about how i present it to people and doing it the way i want to i feel like people will gravitate towards it whether it be within my lifetime or you know far after i'm gone you know and <laughs> even if long even, after you're gone yeah i did yeah even 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 just this this conversation hearing how you were affected by the performance of the night if i were to get in a car wreck tomorrow and, and die i'd be i'd be happy knowing that Honestly, you were bro, so affected dude, by the performance i was like i saw Matson. i was outside with pablo love train i'm going to interview him on sunday fucking legendary cat um and i was ready to fucking i'm sorry to curse i was i i, I was ready to take off and yeah. uh I walk back in and I'm like, all right, there's pulse. They're breaking up time and form. They're taking chances. I'm like, holy shit. And then to see you have that kind of spiritual uh, uh, command of, of the, of the instrument and the band. I mean, it, and, and again, I was going to ask you about leadership, but I feel like everybody kind of self polices in that group and they kind of look out. You guys will tell each other if you need to, you tell each other what you need to hear, you know, I, I was like, and so it freaking, because I was going to go home pretty, pretty well fed, but yeah. I mean, you put me on a different, I put up those clips on Instagram, you know, I'm still trying to burrow in there, but it's like, <laughs> dude, I swear to you, man, that shit was next level, man. <laughs> it was sick. And so, you know what, man, you guys come back down here at all. You have any, anything on the books or no? Um, we're, we're potentially looking at the gig. I can't say too much about it right now, but it all right. Yeah, dude, no, I just, yeah. please dude. It is. This is why I do my show, man. And, yeah. uh, and I can't thank you enough for healing me the other night. And I look forward to talking to the other cats as well. Yeah, man. Uh, 
Uh, it was a pleasure, and I, I'm really glad I had the opportunity to talk to you. Yeah, man. Be cool, baby. You too, man. Have a good All one. right, later. Bye. Bye.